not taking their medications or not taking them enough. Now, in addition to our drug therapy, there's also some non-drug therapy. One is surgery. We cut out the troublemakers. Um, curatage. We can also do vagal nerve stimulation. For some reason, stimulating the vagal nerve, vagus nerve seems to have some calming effects on the brain itself. And then also the ketogenic diet, which is better known as the Atkins diet. Um, there's not very much evidence to support that, but there is some anecdotal evidence that you know some people who had seizures and they went on the Atkins diet and they don't have seizures anymore. It's possible. Now, as far as drugs go, we want to match the drug to the seizure type. So a little bit of what you'll need to know is what drugs get used for which seizures. Not for all of them, just for a couple. Now, as far as evaluation go, we want to do history, ask about the symptoms and precipitating events. Um, sometimes it's not going to be obvious, obvious that a person is having a seizure, you know, like with the girl who's falling down. Are you just clumsy? Are you, are you having fainting spells? How many have ever seen someone faint? What happens to them after they fall? Sometimes they twitch a little bit. And that can be mistaken for the clonic phase of a grand mal seizure. So, you know, is this syncope or is this a seizure? A neurologic examination. So all the things that you learned in your neuroassessment. And then EEG. CTs, PETs, and MRIs are all different ways of looking at brain activity. The gold standard is, and what does EEG stand for? Electroencephalogram. So when a nerve fires, what kind of activity is that? Electric. And electroencephalogram measures the electrical activity of the brain. The problem is that once the seizures happen, sometimes... They, their brain waves go back to normal and you can't tell. So you have to like monitor them for a while and like maybe have them some strobes and you know try and provoke a seizure to see is this really a seizure or not. It can be quite troublesome sometimes to actually get these patients diagnosed correctly. All right, um, drug therapy. First thing we need to know, the acute seizure. We can stop acute seizures with benzodiazepines. The two drugs that are, will be used for that will be diazepam and lorazepam. What are their other names? Ativan and Prince, Va Prince Valium. Yes. All right. Now, which one is which? Okay. So lorazepam is Ativan. Diazepam is Valium. I don't know an easy way to remember that. DVT. There you go. Diazepam, Valium. Lorazepam, Ativan. Oh, there you go. See, LA, Los Angeles, Lorazepam, Ativan. If that helps you, I don't know. <laughs> All right, now. So, if... If you have a question on your test which says the patient is having a seizure, what would be the drug of choice there? Valium or Ativan. And actually, Ativan is a little bit better preferred. And the reason for that is that lorazepam has a more predictable half-life. 
All right. Um, now, when a patient first has seizures or is diagnosed and we start them in on anti-seizure medications, we call that a trial period. It's a trial period because we're trying to find the right drug and we're trying to see what dose they need to suppress their seizures. The trial period can last up to two years. So during the trial period, no driving, no operating heavy machinery, no swimming unless supervised, etc. Um, patients may need to switch agents or they may need to add a second agent. Some people aren't controlled on just one drug, they need more than one. Their brain is powerful. Now, as far as, as far as evaluation, there's two things that we want to check. One is drug levels, and the other one is the frequency chart of the seizures themselves. So how often is a person having seizures? And we want to see that frequency go down to zero, none. Now, as far as promoting compliance, under treatment is probably accountable for about 50% of all seizures. So half of all seizures are probably, what's the word? Starts with a P? Preventable. Preventable, yes, that's it. Now, sometimes a patient will have, be, have been seizure-free for 20 years, 25 years, and they're like, you know, I don't want to be on these drugs anymore. Can I just try and not do it anymore and see if I may, you know, it was 20 years ago. I might be fixed by now. So if a patient goes off their medication, it needs to be withdrawn slowly or that can precipitate a seizure. And by slowly, we mean over the course of about half a year. All right, here are your drug classes. Oh, actually, these are drugs. So um, under conventional, conventional just means before 1990. So under conventional, we have carbamazepine, ethosuximide, phenobarbital, phenytoin, and valproic acid. Now, phenytoin or dilantin was the first drug that we had that was selective for only diseased neurons. Before that, what we had to use was lorazepam, diazepam, and um, phenobarbital, which are not selective. So phenytoin, in a lot of ways, revolutionized the way that we treat epilepsy. The problem with it is it's nasty. It's got a lot of side effects. We'll talk about those in a minute. So as a result, fewer and fewer people are going to be on phenytoin or dilantin as you get older and as you start practicing. More and more people are going to be on carbamazepine or tegretol. Now, ethosuximide or Zerontin, that one you need to know is for absence seizures. Ethosuximide. Carbamazepine and phenytoin, you need to know, are for traditional seizures, um, the tonic-clonic. They might be used for some others, but tonic-clonic is the big one. Okay, tonic-clonic, carbamazepine. Ethosuximide, absence. Phenobarbital, everything. Phenytoin, tonic-clonic. Valproic acid, everything. 
Yes. Yeah. Not as much, no, because um, phenobarbital is a very kind of dangerous drug over time. It can actually make you stupider, irreversibly stupider. Yeah. No, phenytoin dilantin. Yeah. Phenytoin was the first drug that we had that was selective for disease neurons. All right, newer ones. These are after 1990. We have oxcarbazepine, which is basically just a metabolite of carbamazepine. Then we have gabapentin, also known as neurontin, and topamurate, also known as topamax. Now, the thing about topamax and neurontin is that they're relatively new drugs. They don't really work super, super well for, for seizures on their own. So as a result, drug makers decided, you know, we need to market these for some other reason. So what you're going to see them used a lot for is other neurological problems. So if a person has neuralgia or if they have um, a neuropathy where they've got numbness and tingling, they'll use them for that. Um, they'll also try and use them for certain depression types, and they'll also try and use them for migraines. Now, does anyone in here ever, does anyone here have a relative who's on Topamax? Or has ever taken it themselves? In the senior class, we have someone whose mother is taking it, or was taking it. Um, there's a nickname for the drug. It's the stupid pill. Because when you're on Topamax, it's hard to remember things. And it's also hard to, oh, what's that? Oh, that's nice. What? I'm sorry. What, what was that? What? Oh, yeah, it's hard to concentrate. That's right. So as a result, Topamax is sometimes referred to as the stupid pill. Which means that patients who are on it for migraine headaches, guess what? They tend to stop taking it. Because they're like, yeah, the, the migraine isn't as bad as this. All right, let's talk about each one in a little bit more detail. Phenytoin, or dilantin, is the oldest selective seizure med. Um, we use them for partial and generalized tonic-clonic seizures, and the way it works is by slowing ch sodium channel recovery. It does not affect normal neurons. Um, Absorption can vary greatly with individual, which means that we have to check what? Drug levels. We have instant and sustained release versions. The, the sustained release is typically given once a day. The instant release has to be given usually three times a day. Um, it can be given IV, and it has some cardiovascular effects when given IV. Um, and they actually used to use it as an antidysrhythmic, but they don't use it anymore. It's metabolized in the liver a little bit, and it has what's called saturation kinetics. Now, this is very, very special. Phenytoin is one of the only drugs that does this, and so it's going to have something called exponential kinetics. So we're going to draw on the board for just a moment. Now, ordinarily, most drugs are what's called linear. So if I give a dose of one milligram and it's absorbed 100%, how much would be in the blood? 
one milligram. And if I gave two milligrams, what would happen in the blood? Two milligrams in the blood. And, you know, you'd have a straight line. Now, not all lines would have a slope of 45 degrees. Some might have a slope like this. Some might have a slope like this. But they all are predictably linear. Does that make sense? All right. Now, with... With... Um, with phenytoin, what happens is you get an exponential, an exponential distribution, which looks like this. Now the problem is, if you've got your linear, and say you, you increase the dose from 1 to 2, have you really changed very much in, in the uh, blood level here? No, not really. Now if you change it a little bit more, have you changed it much more? But now if you change it to here, guess what happens? Now you've killed them because they're toxic. So what you get is not much change, not much change, huge change. So it's a very dangerous drug because it's very easy to go from not enough to too much with just a very small change in the dose. And that's called exponential, exponential dosing. Now the reason for this is that your liver can only get rid of a little bit of it at a time which means that the rest of it is accumulating in this exponential fashion. You must absolutely know this for your final exam. And the bottom line is that because of the exponential, we have to carefully monitor the levels because it's very easy to go from not enough to too much. Adverse effect, yes ma'am? But then it doesn't work. If you give, if you just give less, remember because yeah, you would have some, but you'd be down here in this flat portion of the curve. You need to be in the sweet spot, and that's kind of difficult to maintain. All right, um, adverse effects in the nervous system itself. Um, it causes mild sedation at therapeutic levels. If it becomes toxic, it causes heavy sedation and loss of consciousness. Um, can also cause nystagmus. What's nystagmus? Not lazy eye. That's amblyopia. When your eyes jiggle. So if you ask someone to do this and their eyes go like a, a few little beats, that's normal. But if their eyes start doing this, that's not right, especially if they cross. Yeah. So, yeah, no, if I, could, if I could do it without crossing, that would be something. Sedation, ataxia, diplopia, which is double vision, and cognitive impairment. So that's at toxic, at toxic levels. Now, gingival hyperplasia is the next one. What is gingiva? Gums. What's hyperplasia? Overgrowth of the gums. Did I show you guys pictures of this? Do I have pictures in here? Oh, how gauche. Well, I've got to show you a picture of that. I'll show you at the end of class. Yes, I will. No, I won't. Well, you'll have to remind me, just like you were supposed to do a quiz. So we'll do the quiz at the end of class, too. Shut up. I can just give you a zero for the quiz. It's okay. 
What's the, well, I mean, you want to take it, right? Okay, I'll give you a zero if you don't want to take it. I am very accommodating. <laughs> All right. So gingival hyperplasia. Basically, the gums, basically the gums begin to overgrow the teeth. And a patient can, in severe cases, the patient will actually have no tooth left. It's all just gum. Now, the problem with that, in addition to being gross and ugly, is that when you've got all that extra gum in there, it's a, it's a perfect place for bacteria to hang out and multiply. And the person is at much higher risk for periodontitis, and then you can actually lose their teeth. What happens when someone loses their teeth? They get dentures, but they have impaired nutrition because they can't eat as well. So hygiene and particularly flossing. For those of you, um, for those of you anal flossers in the crowd, you would do well on uh, dilantin. It can also cause a rash, and in, if you give it to a woman who's pregnant, it can cause the baby to have cleft palate, heart malformation, and other assorted birth defectness or badnesses. All right, so um, birth control. Oh, by the way, phenytoin decreases the effects of oral contraceptives, which means that the woman who's on oral contraceptives and warfarin is also more likely to get pregnant and have those complications we just talked about. It also decreases the effects of warfarin and steroids. The effects of warfarin are increased by diazepam, tagamet, and acute alcohol. Um, if you drink a lot of alcohol, you can actually keep, have some very, very serious problems with phenytoin. Blah, blah, blah. Um, now, it has a synergy with other central nervous system depressants. Next drug, carbamazepine or Tegretol. We use these for partial and for tonic-clonic seizures. And the mechanism is the same as phenytoin. Basically, it's just the same as phenytoin, except a lot fewer side effects, and you don't have those nasty exponential kinetics. It's preferred in children. Why would we prefer it in children? Fewer side effects. Why don't we prefer it in adults? Because a lot of adults are stable on their phenytoin. In order to switch them, if a person's been seizure-free for 10 years and they decide, you know, I'm tired of these side effects, I'd like to switch to Tegretol, what do you have to do? You have to wean them off the one and put them back on the other, and all the meantime, they're at risk for seizures. So a lot of physicians are like, look, I just don't want to risk it. You know, it's better just to live with the side effects. So for new diagnoses, really, carbamazepine is a much better choice than phenytoin. Um, you can also use this in bipolar and in patients who have neuralgias, which is pain from the nerve itself. Adverse effects include visual disturbance, vertigo, unsteadiness, headache, bone marrow expression, and rarely aplastic anemia. Now, if you'd like to impress Professor Campbell, here's what you do. You remember two drugs in particular. One, monoamine oxidase inhibitors, the MAOIs, Remember all the stuff you need to know about that. And the second thing is you remember that Tegretol can cause aplastic anemia. So what should be monitored on a patient with Tegretol? 
the H and H, hemoglobin and hematocrit. And it can also cause birth defects. Interacts also with OCs, um, warfarin, dilantin, phenobarb, and interestingly enough, grapefruit juice. Next, we have valproic acid. Valproic acid works in all three ways. It inhibits the sodium, it inhibits the calcium, and it also potentiates GABA. So it can be used for any kind of seizure. Now, sometimes you'll hear valproic acid referred to as a mood stabilizer. And it's because it is often used in patients who have bipolar disorder. See? Bipolar disorder. <laughs> if it's there, it must be true. It's readily absorbed, it's widely distributed, and it is metabolized in the liver and can cause liver failure. So it's not a very benign drug in, in that it has the potential to cause some pretty bad stuff to happen, but it works pretty well for what it's supposed to do. It's excreted in the livers, the liver, in the kidney. <laughs> Adverse effects, nausea and fatal hepatotox. What's that? Can you read that word for me? Hepatotoxic, is that how it's pronounced? Okay. So, okay. Don't use in conjunction with other drugs for less than three years. I think that should be greater than three years. Yeah. Don't use in pre-existing liver conditions. Check a baseline. Oh, liver function test? Is that what that is? Okay. Educate on symptoms. Okay, symptoms. <laughs> Reduced appetite. Malaise? Malaise? That oh, what is that? What's malaise? Oh, okay. Oh, mal. A's. It's French. A B D pain. What's that mean? Oh, abdominal pain. What's jaundice? Yellowing? Okay. Oh, it can also cause pancreatitis and neural tube defects. What's the birth defect caused by neural tube defects? Spina bifida. What is spina bifida? It's where part of your spinal cord is exposed to the outside air. And whatever is below that will tend to be paralyzed. I don't deal with that part of medicine, thank you. Okay, next drug we have is ethosuximide. Ethosuximide is used for absence seizures, and it works, it works by inhibiting the calcium channels. And the adverse effects include drowsiness and dizziness. Next, we have phenobarbital. <coughs> phenobarbital is a barbiturate. <coughs> oh, excuse me. It is the least toxic of all of the barbiturates. Barbiturates can cause permanent neurological depression. It can actually make you permanently stupider. And phenobarbital has... Stupid. Yes. Phenobar phenobarbital... And, and I don't just mean like you used to be smart and now you're dumb. I mean, just mean like everything is slow. Like, you know, you ever meet someone, you're like, what's your name? And they're like, 
George. Yeah, kind of like that. So, um, barbiturates can reduce seizures with. It's the only. Um, it's the only barbiturate that can reduce seizures without causing sedation. Now, when we say sedation, we actually mean like putting you down. It will make the person drowsy. Yeah, you, you'll see a lot of patients who are on both phenytoin and um, phenobarbital, and they're just sitting in the chair there, and they're like, yeah. So, what can I do for you today? Um, well, I'm here to see the doctor. Yeah, just like very very down, very calm, very slow, because they're on two drugs that depress the central nervous system. It's usually used as an adjunct to other drugs, and here's what you really need to know. It's often used in patients who have persistent status epilepticus. So what is the treatment of choice for status epilepticus? No! Not phenobarbital. Smack yourself. Harder. Smack yourself here, too. You must be punished. What's the treatment for status epilepticus? Did you say epinephrine? Smack yourself, too. Say it again. Ativan or Valium. It's not. I said, no, 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 don't take it out. It's there for a reason. What is the treatment of choice? Ativan or diazepam. If those don't work, or they work, but then the patient goes right back into seizures again, and you do it again, and it happens again, then you put them in a persistent status epilepticus. When they're in that, then you treat them with barbiturates, and you put them into our barbiturate coma. And the idea is you put them into a coma artificially and keep them there for a couple weeks. And then you bring, yes, weeks. Yeah, like, like typically three, two to four weeks. Then you bring them back out and see if the, if the uh, seizures don't return. Sometimes they do. In that case, patients will sometimes be in kind of like a persistent barbiturate coma waiting for some new medical breakthrough. Yeah? Um, I don't know. That would be a very good research topic for next semester. Write that down. Barbiturate coma in... All right, now, as far as the newer ones go, um, the oxcarbazepine is just a derivative of Tegretol. It's as effective, but fewer side effects, but more expensive. You know, it's kind of like, you ever see the, the sign for an auto repair shop? It says, you can have it cheap, you can have it fast, and you can have it right. Choose any two. <laughs> yeah. So it's the same thing with drugs. You know, the newer ones are usually more effective. They have fewer side effects, but they're also more expensive. You know, you can't always get everything you want. All right, gabapentin. Um, we use it only as an adjunct for partial seizures. It's not used for generalized seizures. We also use it for post-herpetic neuralgia. Now, what is herpes? It's a virus. And what does it attack? Nerves. And after a herpes attack, sometimes the patient will have persistent numbness and tingling. We call that post-herpetic neuralgia. Now, what else besides herpes is also a herpes virus? 
the varicella virus, which causes chickenpox and shingles. So sometimes after a shingles attack, a person will also have persistent numbness and tingling, also known as postherpetic neuralgia. And we can use neurontin or gabapentin to uh, help fix that. You can also, um, they're investigating its use in bipolar disorder, neuropathic pain for like diabetes, migraine, headaches, and leg cramps. Um, leg cramps. Like people who wake up in the middle of the night screaming in agony. Topamax or topamurate is also used as only an adjunct for partial seizures and it's also used for bipolar cluster headaches and migraines. It also has the very fun nickname of <coughs> stupid pill. <laughs>